Good evening on this Tuesday, the second, no, the first of December. And we are continuing with our lesson on the book of Daniel. And we left off with question number 11 last time, and we'll pick it up here again today so that we can catch up on where we're at. Uh, the question that I asked you last week, why does King Nebuchadnezzar focus on the worship of gods and not the men's civil disobedience? And the, um, the information that I shared with you last week was this, that obedience to the worship of the king's god or gods went hand in hand with the civil obedience. They were in the same mold, church and state together. A physical act of worship will display their loyalty, both to the king as well as to the God that Nebuchadnezzar. Now, Dr. Andy Steinman, um, who was on the radio this past week, notes that when King Nebuchadnezzar says, then what God will save you from my hand, he's not saying that not God, that no God can rescue or asking a question, I should say. He does not believe any lesser God is willing, and I think that's a very important word, to rescue the Judeans since they have refused to honor his more powerful gods. So another word, in the tier of the Chaldeans, they had different gods. And so Nebuchadnezzar is, has the highest God and he thinks of the Jewish God as a lesser God even though um, we know that the, the Lord was able to give him, through Daniel, interpretation of um, the dreams. Nebuchadnezzar asserts the superiority of his own gods, <coughs> excuse me, and taunts the Judeans' faith. It seemed that what Nebuchadnezzar learned from the dream situation and was led to confess was not very much at hand. Before we go to the next question, specifically with the last line that I have, was led to confess did not last. Can you think of anywhere in any of the teaching of the New Testament that Jesus specifically told us that will happen? I want you to think for just a moment and consider the facts. Can you think of any place in all of Scripture, specifically in the New Testament, where the Savior speaks of this? Of the lack of being um, content? Not being content, but believing. Because earlier in chapter 1, yeah. we heard, oh, wow, this is the God we got to worship, right? And now in chapter 2... What God is, uh, chapter 3, excuse me. What? Of the seeds when Bingo. Matthew, the seeds, Matthew 13, the seeds that was uh, scattered on the ground. Let me just read this for you because it's really helpful for us. So this is in Matthew chapter 13, uh, beginning with verse 1, and then we'll explain the explanation and we'll tie all of these dots together. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that 
He got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had now no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundred, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. That's the parable. Now, the word parable, the way we understand it biblically, it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, okay? So it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Uh, now, the purpose of the parable, I'm continuing in verse 10 of Matthew 13. Then the disciples came, oops, I went too far, hold on. Then the, the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? Ironically, they don't talk about themselves, but they talk about others. And he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. So you notice that? The kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. For the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing, they do not see. And hearing, they do not hear. Nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. Now, as I read these words, I want you to think of Nebuchadnezzar. For this people's heart has grown, grown dull. With their eyes, with their ears, they can barely hear, lest they should, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. Now here is the explanation of the parable. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the world, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundred, 
60 and 30. Do you see the connections here? Could you tell me which verse in Matthew that specifically has drowned Nebuchadnezzar's heart? Twenty-two. Twenty-two. It is because. He's a king, and you remember, he, well, I mean, even the first, the one before it, where it fell among, wrongs, he, uh, among rocks, he does not have very good root. This is why uh, it is very important to train a child in the way he should go. I cannot stress that enough, because if you don't teach them when they're young, they will never grasp what is being said. It doesn't mean that they cannot receive faith. It doesn't mean that they cannot believe because we have conversion as adults. We know that. But when you ground them in the faith, the temptation to let go is almost impossible. But when you're not grounded, you know, then it is easy because you have no basis to fall back on. That's why it's so important. And we can see this in the life of this king. He saw the mighty deeds of God, and he was happy, the God of uh, God of Daniel. And so, uh, you know, that's the thing. I'm going to turn yours down just a little bit in case. Yeah, okay. She should be able to hear me. Anyway, so it's very important how to connect the value of the word. Remember, in First uh, Peter... The Lord says, the word of the Lord endures forever. Man is but grass, but it's the word of God that endures forever. And if that's not anchored in your heart and it's not planted in your heart, you can hear it, but it hasn't taken the root. And if you've ever seen a tree, you know, you see a small tree that is easily tipped over against the wind, a big tree will stand more because the roots are so deep. But a young tree can be just wiped away. It doesn't mean that they can't take. We've seen hurricanes that pull trees as big as the building here. We've seen that. But at the same time, we realize the value of being grounded. Okay? That's very, very important. Okay. Will you Go ahead. repeat what you said about parables? Okay, the parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Okay, so it's a story. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Okay, okay. So, uh, and the reason we say that everything that he used, the people were in Palestine at the time would have known exactly what he was talking. And if you ever, Rose, you remember how many rocks were in Israel? Lots. Lots. And people <laughs> planted around it because they couldn't move them. And so if there's no root for that plant to go down, you know, it's going to grow for a while, but it's not going to take that. So does that answer your question? Yeah. yeah. And, and the Lord in his teaching made it very simple. 
And if, you, if you've been listening to me for many years now, five years plus, you realize I don't use big words when I preach, right? Mm -hmm. You know why? People don't understand them. Well, uh, that's true. You try to speak at a sixth grade level. That's how I write my sermons, sixth grade level. Because I remember when I graduated from the seminary, uh, my pastor was at that time Howard Chain. He says, Nabil, you are the theologian on staff right now. Put all your theological books away and speak to a sixth grade level so the old and the young can understand. That's all I've done. I don't use... I was at a funeral today, um, somebody that was buried in our cemetery, and um, the relation to, the, uh, to him, Bill Zendner is his name, he passed away. Anyway, uh, one of his relations said, Oh, Pastor Noor, I just love your sermon because they touched my heart. I have not seen her for years, but she came out, Oh, Pastor Noor, I love your sermon because they touched my heart. I don't do anything special. I just speak to you as I'm doing right now without fancy words or anything else like this. All right. Uh, let's go to question 12. What is Nebuchadnezzar's intention by his statement? What is um, the king trying to... Um, with his intention like that. What is his intention? To challenge the Judeans' God. Uh, you are hot, kiddo. Uh, tell, me, tell me just a little bit more. You are hot. But just tell me a little bit more. You're so close. Trying to... Uh, no, I don't even know how to say it more. Just to make sure everybody knows that he is better than everybody. But he's majorly trying to put down the Judeans. Um, so <laughs> you are you are so doggone picking close. You're so hot. Um, in essence, really, uh, what Nebuchadnezzar was trying to say, your God is not trustworthy. Don't put your trust in him. He wants to be God. Well, he, he thinks of himself as a god, but he also has gods in his kingdom that he worships. When you talked about levels of gods, mm -hmm. were you talking that they thought that the gods were better? It, like, Some has more power. Yes. That's right. why he asked the question, what god on earth is going to save you? Because we have the gods. We won the battles. We have brought conquest to this. Like I'm better than she is, and she's better than I am, and you're the best. Well, I wouldn't go that far. But, but, but no, but in, in, essence, yeah, in essence, they have different gods for different activities. Okay. Most of the pagan nations had different gods. Okay. Gods for sexuality, gods for fertility, gods for um, planting, gods for rain, gods for sun. Okay. So they had all of these. This is where we get pantheist. Mm -hmm. Okay, like pan. Greek, the Greek yeah, Greeks, mm -hmm. Greek gods. Pan is many. Theos is God. So many gods. So they had different gods for different activities. Whereas in Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Lord says, uh, there's only one God. I am the Lord, your God. One God, right? So what he is trying to say to them, 
My God is stronger than your God. I don't want you to trust. He's trying to dissuade them not to trust. The, I mean, you said it. This is why I said you're so uh, close and so hot in the sense that, you know, uh, he's trying to persuade them. Your God is worthless. Why are you putting your trust in him? And of course, he is looking, the king is looking only on the externals of the conquest the military might, the power, and all of these things. Only then, because, well, if your God is on your side and you won, who do you think is the strongest God? What is the, and how many times have we heard Christian, uh, other people talk to us about Christianity, and they say to us, well, if your God was so powerful, why didn't he stop the cancer? Right? Or why didn't he stop this child from being murdered? Or this girl from being raped. Why, if your God is so strong and so powerful, I mean, even today we have the same usage, wow. but not in the same way as far as different deities. But in essence, they challenge us. Why are you trusting a God who can't stop cancer or the pandemic now? Okay, where is God? He's what he's always been. Using and, everything. And he was very clear that there will be trials and tribulations. He never He's said. Very clear. Yep, very clear. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I mean, you gave birth, you gave birth, you gave birth, and it said what? You will have pain. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't no kidding, right? Mm -hmm. I remember, I don't know if I told you this, but when my firstborn was born, Tony, I have, I don't know if you've seen my ring that uh, I can use it for a stamp. Somehow it got turned and the square side got on this side and she held my hand while she's having labor oh. pains <laughs> and she is squeezing and I'm going. <laughs> and she's almost in tears as she's pushing, you know, and my Finger. I thought it was going to come off because the, I had a ridge in here from where the ring went sideways. So thereafter, after every baby, I took all the jewelry. <laughs> but, my point, but the reason I share this, even for you ladies who've given birth, like my wife, you had pain. But after the pain, after the child is born, you don't remember a single thing about the pain. For a while, you do. For a while, you do. You do. But oh. that chemical released. Yeah. <laughs> that does a good job. Yeah. <laughs> so it's very helpful for us to remember God never promised us a rose garden. That's a fact. But what God did promise, I will be with you. I will sustain you. I will uphold you. You have nothing to fear. You know, um, one of the great hymns they sang this, uh, after, this afternoon at the seminary for the funeral, a mighty fortress is our God. You know, all the troubles in the world are going to come. I mean, none of us are immune. None of us are immune, right? Here's a 58-year-old guy. He would have been 59 uh, on February 19th. He passed away from a heart attack. Brilliant theologian, one of the best the United States of America has ever seen as an Orthodox Lutheran scholar. And he could debate on any platform. Brilliant in the languages. And he can put me in his small pocket as much as he knows. 
And you ask the question, why, Lord? He's such a great light for the Senate and the church at large. But God had ordained his days. God will use it for his good. We don't understand the ways of God. So it's, it's very difficult for us. But we do know God promised that he will be with us. That's the great comfort we have. No matter what it is that we face. But, you know, we, ch- we challenge God on this and wonder, well, why, why is this stroke? Why did I get the pandemic? Why can't I breathe? You can fill in the blank. And that's, that's the challenge of life, you know. So, um, well, sometimes the other thing people will do is, is discount a, your faith. Yeah. 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 Or, or they'll discount the person say, well, you didn't pray enough, or you, you don't have strong enough faith, or you know how in, in the Bible sometimes they talk about children are, are, have problems because of their parents and, you know, all other different reasons, too. Mm-hmm. Well, what you said is very true. People on the outside who are not grounded in the faith will challenge us. Mm-hmm. You know, we will be challenged regardless. You know, if God is so loving, why are you going through this guy? Or where is your God when you need him most, right? I'm sure you've heard the same things, right? So, anyhow, um, let's consider the next question, which I think is very, very helpful for us. Um, Why uh, why do uh, not the action of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego break the fourth commandment? Now, you know what the fourth commandment is, right? Honor your father and mother. And so that means to honor all authority. And everybody that's in your... Okay. So, and we, when we teach in the catechism, those in authority are parents, pastors, teachers, uh, leaders of the community, governors, all of that. We did not break that commandment. Because we do not need to follow somebody within authority if they are saying we cannot worship God the Father. Uh, Acts five twenty nine. You're gonna be commended on that statement. Very Heard good. You say it. Yep. <laughs> um, we are we are to obey the government in all things, but when they say to us, "You must disobey God." then that's when it ends. That's when it comes to an end. And a good verse for you to look at, let me, I think it's, um, I know it's Acts Acts chapter 5. Let me, I believe it's verse 29. Um, And and when they had, uh, this is verse 27 of Acts. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, we strictly charge you not to teach in his name, in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. And then he explained about the God. That's fair. Acts chapter 5, verse 29. Okay? We must obey God rather than men. Whatever authority I have, I cannot mislead you from the word of God. If I do that, then you should disobey me and kick my butt. 
as hard as you can and say, get out of here because you're not teaching the truth. This is why we need to know the scripture and we see that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are grounded in the faith because they loved the Hebrew scripture, specifically the Torah. They knew what it said and that's why uh, the Lord said uh, in the Old Testament, worship the Lord your God only. That's all you got to do. And here, what you have is the activities of these men. They did not break the fourth commandment. They honored the fourth commandment. Because the number one authority over our life is who? God, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? So... As long as we are serving the God Almighty with a good conscience. You know, like right now, the biggest concern among Christians, and we've discussed this in the Presidium, now what with all of the corruption or whatever that's going on until it's all settled? What do we do? And President Harrison said, brothers, we are to obey the government. We may not like it, but that's the government that God shows. And I often think of 1 Samuel chapter 8, where the people of old came to Samuel and said to him, we want a king like all the other nations. And Samuel was furious, literally angry. And God said to him, why are you angry? They didn't turn away from you. They turned away from me. I'm going to give him a king. But this king is going to rob them blind. He's going to take their wives and daughters and make them their servants. He's going to take their property and their land. So people will get what they ask for. And so... Well, you can, you know, did you hear about that pastor that I think in California that he said the strip, strip clubs could open but churches couldn't? Yeah, so I heard that too. He put on the, on the, and took off his tie so that he could, it could pass as a strip club because he was he was he was um, arguing about the the governor's ruling, which I I agree with the pastor. Say you that know? again. I'm I lost you. Say that one more time. Did you hear about that pastor? That they said they couldn't open their churches, but they could open the strip strip clubs. Yeah. So the pastor stood up in front of the congregation and did it a strip dance and took his tie off and he said okay now we're a strip club you know so we can <laughs> well he did and he was he managed because it was such a ridiculous ruling and that's you know i asked we talked about that at what point do you say to the you say to the government i will not obey you well if they that uh, was a legitimate that was a legitimate uh disobeyal yeah, I mean, if, if, the, if the government says to me, you can't open your church for worship, I says, you'll have to shoot me first. You're not going to hold me back, you know. But, um, you know, would I do the strip dance in the pulpit? I don't know if I go that far. I mean, uh, no, I know, I know. You can take your tie off. I never preach with a tie in the first place. Well... Your yeah. Collar. Yep. Yeah, I, I hear you. I hear you. Thanks for sharing. It's intriguing. Okay. Um, you know, um, to, I want to follow up this here. How do Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego begin their answer to the king? 
that they don't need to answer him in this. Very good. Wow, you guys are clicking on all cylinders. I'm, I'm so proud of you. Yeah, they really did not need uh, to answer the king. Uh, by virtue of defying the king's verdict or decree, they had already said enough. And the ultimate thing is there's no way under heaven they're going to forsake the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and worship an idol. And it all comes back to being steeped in the word of God. I'm going to take you to another place in the scripture. I know I have you travel all over the country. Go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Because it's very important that we do that uh, to learn. Say that again. I don't think you should apologize for making us go all over. That's okay. Good. All right. Well, some people can't keep up with, um, but I'm patient. Six what? We're going to start with verse one, but the nugget of it is four and following. But let me just kind of give you the background. It's from already I know. <laughs> now, now I, I want you to listen carefully, though, because it's very important. Now, this is the commandment. This is in verse 1. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me, notice this word, to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it. Realize he's bringing them out of the land of slavery. He's bringing them into the land of um, the promised land, soon to enter in, and Moses is giving these instructions. This is the final book of the Pentateuch. That you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son. So he's talking about generations. By keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, all the days of your life. Deuteronomy. It's the fifth. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I was checking to see if this was Ben's Bible or mine. <laughs> oh, <laughs> never mind. So, then he goes on. Verse. Um, notice he also talks about generational teaching. So, this isn't just uh, one of the things that Pastor Harrison today did in the sermon for this gentleman that passed away, Paul how he loved the father who passed away, how he loved to teach his children and grandchildren the word of the living God. He just loved it. In verse 3, Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them. Notice what it says here. Here's a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. And here is the nugget. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Now notice the descriptions that follow, verses 7 and following. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, 
You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, excuse me, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Okay? Every moment that you are awake, whether you are in the field, in the school, in the house, other on the meal, you teach. This is an opportunity. Um, you know, for example, when my children were little, we would always say, let's hold hand and pray. Why are we praying? Because God is providing us food, giving us plates to put the foods on and the silverware to eat with. That's a teaching opportunity. Now we go and wash the dishes. That's a good teaching opportunity. Why do we wash the dishes? So that God continually reminds us, I have more for you to come. So you want to have your plate ready. If you are driving, you talk about God's creation. Oh, look at these leaves, every single one. Or when it's snowing, do you realize that the snow, none of it is the same. Every opportunity you have is a teaching opportunity. This is exactly what he's talking about. So every moment of your life. And okay, so we had Thanksgiving meal at our house this past Sunday because the kids were going to go someplace. Everyone was going to go see their in-laws. One in-law had COVID, so the one child stayed home. The other one uh, is a doctor. Uh, her four colleagues had COVID, so she had to stay back. So everybody stayed, but we didn't change it because we wanted some time alone on Thanksgiving. So Sunday we did. My grandson is almost, almost two next month. So we sit to the table, and he goes like this, with his hands open. How did he know? He's been doing that, because we hold hands in our house. We pray. You've been to my home. We hold hands when we pray. The grandkids are doing the same things right now. We all pray. And so you teach, you teach, you teach, you instill that in their hearts and in their minds. So it's very important for us to realize the great, great blessing for us to do so. All right, uh, 14. Why might Shadrach... 15. Uh, no, we did... Um, how do Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego begin their answer? Um, they don't answer. So 14 is, why might Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego try to explain their actions? That's 15? Mm -hmm. yeah. Ooh. Oh, sorry about that. Let me correct my lines here. Is sorry. Is it because it's a teaching opportunity? Huh? Is it because it's just one more teaching opportunity? Absolutely. Realize, um, how many of you guys were here Sunday for the Bible study? Well. You were. Okay. I said there are five Gospels in the New Testament. Michelle is thinking. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And Michelle. Oh. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was like, what's the <laughs> You are the fifth one because to, uh, to other people, you are the only Bible they will ever read. I made that comment last Sunday. Mm -hmm during the Bible study. I believe Rose was on that discussion. 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abingo did not want to do the evil that the king wanted to do. So it's an opportunity to teach the grace of God and the compassion of God so that they might, that he, the king might know that they trust a higher God than the God that he is trying to cut down. Okay? Uh, the gods of the pagan nations are idols made by human hands, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that statue is God to some, but they made it. Mm-hmm. I, I laugh, you know, uh, Isaiah say it, says it, and the psalmist says it in Psalm 115. They have ears, but they don't see. They have ears, but they don't hear. They have eyes, they don't see. They have mouth, but they don't speak. They have hands, they don't move. And they take a piece of wood, cut it. Part of it, they put it in the fire for wood. The other make a god and they worship it. Go figure that one out. Mm-hmm. So it is a teaching opportunity. And this is why I said there's always five gospels. Because some people will never read the Bible except in what they see in you or in me. My biggest fear as a pastor, I mean, I don't lose sleep over it, is that I never want to shame the gospel. I just, I, I would literally die. I, the dread of dishonoring God or doing something about anything is just terrifying to me. Because I don't want to shame the gospel because I know I stand differently from all of you. It's not that you don't shame the gospel. You do, but specifically with me, as a pastor of responsibility, you have that dilemma on your heart. And it's, it is something You hold that, yourself to a higher standard? I don't hold myself. People hold me to a higher standard. Because you've heard the saying, pastor live in a bubble glass. And the thing is, you'll never win. But I just serve with my whole heart. Some people like it. Some people furious with me. But that's their problem, not mine. Mm-hmm. You know. So, but it's very important when we uh, realize what these men um, have to give us, and how encouraging it is for us to realize God's richest blessings in what we have specifically as Lutherans, what we have in the wealth and wisdom of the Word of God. Where many other churches, it's not that they don't have Bible study, they do, but their emphasis is what you are going to be doing for God. You know, it's kind of, the social ministry trumps the gospel ministry. Mm-hmm. And thank God for almost 175 years we have not lost focus of that, and I pray it will never happen. So, um, 16 then, why, uh, what do Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego mean by saying, if God exists, are they questioning this? No. Okay, explain. Where does it say, I, have, I mean, I have, I'm, and I read, is it in? It should be in the ESV. Uh, I, have, I, I, have, I have the NIV too. It doesn't say that. Okay. Uh, let me look at my note. Mine says if we are thrown into the fire, we will not be 
thrown if we are thrown into the blazing service furnace. Okay, just a minute. Look at verse 17. What does, uh, okay, read NIV for me. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But if he does not, okay, so 18. But if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your God or worship the image of gold you have set up. Okay, hold on. Let me go grab my Hebrew Bible, because that will be the best. Give me one second. I don't need this here. Our God, whom we serve, will be able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your God or worship the golden image that you have set up. What what are you reading? What what, um, number are you reading? Verse Uh, 17. 17. 17? Yeah. AP 16 and 19. Oh, here's 17. It must be. Okay, just a minute. Give me a second here. Do you have the ESV? Uh, what does it say on yours? Says, if this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. If it be so. If it be so. Okay. Meaning, if they're thrown in that fire. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. Let me look at the Hebrew ones. See what they have there. Here we go. All right. Okay. Chapter 3, Gimel, Survice, right? You you can. What did you have in yours again? Um, so on on sixteen, they were talking to the king, and they said, "O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, meaning if they're thrown into the fire, mm-hmm. our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and He will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not." Okay. So if he doesn't deliver us, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your God or worship the golden image that you have set up. I think it's the, the author's... 
I did that too. I was back in Deuteronomy, and I'm like, that's not what it says in 17. <laughs> okay, but I think it is the author's translation. Remember, I'm talking about Andy that oh. he is the one who translated, he's the scholar, he's the one that wrote the commentary on it. Mm -hmm. So he translated it that way. So, uh, and it can be easily translated that way um, as far as the Hebrew text is concerned by looking at it. So, so with that in mind, if their God exists, um, the thought is conditional Meaning, if their God exists, the God of Israel who had revealed his law and spoken his gracious gospel words of promise through Moses and the prophet, then they don't have to worry about it. They know that God is real. If he's going to carry it, that is fine. If he's not going to carry it, that is fine. Why is that? Because if they die, they go to heaven. So it's a win-win no matter what happens. Christians never lose. Christians never lose. Because uh, Philippians 1.21, if we live, we live unto the Lord. If we die, we win, right? So it's very important for us. It's a win-win situation. We cannot lose. Uh, so to put this kind of in a context, the God of the Jews, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has the power and the ability to save them, if he so chooses. And upon that premise, they can say, God indeed does exist. So the uncertainty is not really so much with the Judean people, but with the Nebuchadnezzar. Not, the Judean have no concerns of that. They're just trying to confess the faith of who God is and what he has done and continues to do. Uh, and I think if you want to liken this to something like today, is that somebody might challenge you to say, well, if your God is real, prove it. Well, how do you prove God? You know it in your heart, right? Mm -hmm. But how do you prove God exists? I mean, I don't have any tangible things that I can tell you, but having lived and walked by faith, he's been by my side every time of my life. Every breath I took, every step I moved, Every action I've made, he's always been there. And just because he's not there, it doesn't mean he doesn't care. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's very important for us. So the uncertainty is not really so much with the Judeans as much as the Chaldeans. I think we will stop here. Man, I... Um, Ladies on the phone or on uh, the uh, YouTube or video, Zoom, do you have any questions before we close for the night? No. All right. I oh, do. You do. Fire away. <laughs> this is actually from about three or four weeks ago. 
Oh, wow. When you gave us this sermon, yes. I have written at the top Isaiah 7 through 9, chapter 7 through 9. And, I, too, and you know what was, that was about? Prayer. And I read it and I still didn't understand. Prayer. What was it about? Prayer. prayer. Isaiah. I said, how, how, I was asking when I know, I believe prayer changes things and yet. God already knows what's going to happen, so I, how, how do you make sense of it all? And you told me, you said Isaiah 7 through 9, I think. Didn't you? Yeah. 5 through 7? Yeah, in, because in chapter 7, the Lord talked to King Ahaz and said to him, ask whatever you want. And he says, no, I'm not going to put God to the test. And God says, I will tell you what I'm going to do. And then he gives the promise, the Alma, which is the virgin, will conceive and give a birth. And that becomes Emmanuel. So uh, the prayer is, God knows what he's going to do. But God does change his mind, you know, when we do. Um, you know, he knows what we need. He desires for us to come to him with all of our needs. And sometimes the answer is yes sometimes the answer is no and sometimes the answer just not yet you know I'm, I'm, okay so you you are because i was saying because god god does change his mind he has and when we pray even though I mean, yeah, okay. Okay, I understand now. I mean, we do do have uh, evidence where God does change. You know, the king, uh, I can't think of his name right now. He was sick. And God, Hezekiah, right? Hezekiah, thank you. I thought that's who it was. But King Hezekiah, for example, God told him he was going to die, right? Uh Uh-huh. And then he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord says, okay, I'll give you more time. I'll so, you 20 more years or whatever it was. Whatever. Yeah. But so we do know God does change his mind. And of course... When he was going to destroy something, and, you know, his people prayed and said, please don't, then God changed his mind. Yet he, he was merciful. I mean, we, we, we do have evidence that God has, you know, through Scripture. And think of the, uh, the rebuttal between Abraham and God, right? Yeah. How many, he started out with 50. If I find 50 people, right? right. So, I mean, he, he was bartering with God. It's kind of like, you do this, I do this. And then he says, man, I... I've been pushing you a lot, but can I do one more? I said, well, go ahead. So we do know that God listens to the prayer of his people. Mm-hmm. So. And that's what's really sad is it wasn't even him. Yeah. <laughs> I was just listening when I was getting ready this morning, um, listening and focusing on, on prayer. And um, something, and I think that this touched me because like it's a real reality, but it, it kind of went through the thing where it was like, you know, um, you clothed me and like all these things, and, and a person's like, well, no, I didn't do that. Nobody came to, you know, you didn't come to my house, but it was somebody else who did, mm-hmm. and um, so then from there it went on, 
and how like prayer is your communication and it shouldn't just be like one person talking but more dialogue and you have to speak and then you have to listen and one of the things that like got me I started crying was God is not forceful he doesn't force it but he's always here and he kind of put it in terms like he comes and he's like knocks on the door like hey did you want to talk do you want to be together today oh oh you have a new boyfriend you're busy okay okay I'll come back tomorrow and then knock 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 I heard somebody crying can I be here oh you're you're too busy okay you know like that kind of thing and it was like oh my gosh I don't know if I've used it in this church yet or not but a long time ago um, there was a, a huge flood going on. We're talking about prayers. And so, uh, you know, the fire department came and said, the water is rising, you need to get out. They brought a boat. He says, no, I've been praying for God. God is going to take me and he's going to help me. So before the water starts rising, they ask him with a car, nothing. So the water starts rising, they came with a boat and they said to him, <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, please come with us. The water, we know it's going to rise again. And he uh, says, no, I've been praying to God, and God promises to answer my prayers. And so the water was rising, so he was forced to go to the roof. He's sitting on the roof, and the helicopter is lowering for him um, the ladder. And they said to him, Take the ladder. We'll get you out of here. No, I promise God he will answer my prayer. Well, the water came and took him. So he meet God and he says to God, why didn't you answer? He says, I sent you a car. You never left. I gave you a boat. You never took off. I gave you the helicopter. You never came. So God gets involved in the life of people because we become the hands and feet of the master. We don't realize. That's kind of what you were saying. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's close with the word of prayer. <clears throat> Faithful God, thanks and praise be to you. Especially, Lord, during this Advent, as our heart focusing on your first coming as well as your second coming. Thank you for the book of Daniel. How rich and filled with treasure it is. And how it molds our hearts, O Lord, to be connected to you. Help us to be like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So that we may be grounded on solid ground. Bless us richly, O God, so that we might truly hear and know your loving kindness. To that end, O Father, be with us as we go our separate ways. Grant us safety, keep us alert on the road, and protect us from every harm and evil. And bring us here tomorrow, Lord, as we celebrate the opportunity to hear your word again. Oh, that precious gift, oh God. May it always revive us, restore us, and rescue us. In your name we pray. Amen. Does anybody want a chat? A, a thanks. Very, thanks, everybody. A very childhood-like lesson. So this is what Snowflake who's our shepherd, our family shepherd. Um, we don't do the outside.